0: Now, the um, Education Minister has launched his department's the Wellbeing Policy Statement and Framework and it sets out a series basically of ways that teachers are going to be able to try and help young people to cope with the, just the pressures of modern life. So included is the introduction of safe rooms where children can go if they feel anxious or distressed and to discuss these plang- plans and just anxiety levels in general in students is psychologist and cognitive scientist uh, John Francis. Leader John, good afternoon. Hey, Thanks Emily, for coming how in. How are you doing? Good. Um, just in general, this first of all, this idea of the safe room for, for students if they're
1: anxious in school. What's what's your view on it? Kind of a dramatic word, isn't it? Safe room, yes. <laughs> Sounds like something very specific. Yeah, th- this is kind of a, a subset of, of something which I think we generally really welcome in psychology and therapy and well-being in education, which is uh, the inclusion of well-being as part of the program, part of the ethos, part of the curriculum. And the truth is, when you put a bunch of people together, whoever they are, whether it's kids students or anyone else, there are better and worse ways to interact. There's better and worse kind of spaces to be in when you learn and I mean that both mentally and physically in terms okay. of the, the environments you're in. So part of what they're trying to do with the safe spaces is to have a, a kind of a relaxing place where you can go and I suppose chill out uh, and breathe a bit and there, there is something to that even in fire stations. You know, They don't just have fires the whole time, they've got a room where the, the, the firefighters can relax mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of take a breath. So I think broadly we welcome it but it's important that these aren't just spaces where I suppose teachers or students don't know what to do but there is as part of the curriculum an emphasis on well-being and instruction and tuition on how to relax, how to understand anxiety or stress.
0: Like, is, is How much more of an issue? Because we seem to talk an awful lot more about anxiety and stress in kids and in teenagers in, in recent times. Like, How much of an issue is that now?
1: Well, it is an issue, but what's really important, I think, is that we don't pathologize it, because, sure, there can be extreme forms of anxiety, uh, which we might want to specify in that way, but the capacity to be anxious or to be stressed is just an aspect of being human. Every every human being, every healthy animal has that capacity. So this is a big part of the problem, because, you know, if you think about how many years you spend in school and all the things you'll learn, uh, good stuff, no doubt, but very little time spent understanding our adrenal system, how stress works, why we get anxious how to moderate that and how to manage it. Now, when you're trying to do that there's a couple of ways of doing it. One is talking about it, so that's welcome. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is doing it then in an applied way. Now what, in the research I'm doing out in UCD, what we look at is not just safe spaces, in other words, not just places where people can go and relax, but also danger spaces, because we look at ways of simulating difficulties that people may face, kind of like the firefighter again will have simulators where they'll learn how to relax themselves in challenging situations. So that way you get this balance between relaxing, but also building resilience. as well, on the other side.
0: Okay, so you think, the, so the idea of, I suppose, well-being in general sort of being incorporated into the curriculum or
1: in the school Mm-hmm. Space, basically, is a good idea. Like, I think that's that's absolutely yeah. essential. And I think we'll look back 10, 20, hopefully, <laughs> it's not 100 years from now, and we'll be amazed that we didn't do it sooner. Because really, the model uh, that we have at the moment of kind of sitting in a classroom at desks, looking at the top of the room, is really a Victorian model. Yeah. It's a kind of a post-industrial revolution, kind of hangover that we have. Really, learning was always much more experiential in olden times. You would be out there doing things, interacting, and there would be a variety of different spaces. So I think that is, is very important to embrace.
0: Just a couple of texts in actually already from listeners on this because we we want to get listeners' views on whether 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 or not you think this idea of a, spa- a safe room in a school is actually a good idea. It's five three one six at a cost of thirty cents. This listener says I work in a school and the idea of a safe of a safe room or a safe space is unheard of. And how about supervision of the student going into this room on their own? Is the minister going to give every school money to pay to pay for more space and supervision? I don't think so. Uh, this texter safe rooms sound very snowflakey teach the kids to man up would be a much more beneficial idea Uh, this listener says in my secondary school we had a quiet room for children um, with social difficulties to try and feel safe to feel safe in and to have breaks Um, it had multi-purposes myself and my friend used it when we needed some time uh, to deal with the death of a classmate
1: yeah. So if you have a really busy space where you have nowhere to breathe, that's needed. Even in uh, in some department stores, they'll have that, you know, just for customers. Okay. Who if something stressful happens, they need to sit down for a moment. So I think having some quiet space does make sense. Again, ideally, and it's probably a bit much to ask for in the short term, but we can build resilience in danger rooms as well as relax and safe spaces. But that does require a little bit uh, more supervision. But it is very, very important that if we're bringing in something like a safe space, how it Uh, construed how it's labeled is going to really matter Uh, an example of this is with a number of clients I work with and organizations I work with they're very well-intentioned and what they do is they have a counselor or somebody like a coach in the workplace Mm -hmm. but they put their office door in front of the canteen So people are then pointing, saying, ah, look at that person heading in there, they've got problems. So it totally defies the purpose of it. So I think we need to to really formulate this as something rather different.
0: It's funny that one of our listeners is after saying, it's a really good idea, but safe is the wrong word for all sorts of reasons. What about a quiet space room? Exactly.
1: A relaxation room, a quiet space, something along those lines. Obviously, resources permitting, I'd be advocating for just experiential spaces. And they're talking about that in in, uh, the Minister's report because they're talking about sensory experiences... uh, in covering that so i think if we could have adaptive spaces where we can for example have relaxation programs where we can have motivation programs where we can have stress management where then we're not shying away from danger or difficulty in the world but we're learning how to process it better and deal with it better that'd be really useful yeah
0: okay just on the topic of um anxiety uh just talk to us just john i suppose in your own professional experience mm. just the, the difference kind of between anxiety maybe as an anxious child or maybe a child with kind of chronic anxiety or anxiety disorder. Just just explain explain the difference
1: first. Absolutely. Now the, the the constructs that we use normally from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders are something of a construct that we use to try and classify uh, uh, adaptive or maladaptive behaviour. So it's really important to appreciate that these are a little bit malleable. And they get updated and they change over time as we understand what's happening a little bit more. So anxiety itself, the most important thing to say is a really healthy thing. And the whole idea is, you know, for your ancestors just thousands of years ago, you see something dangerous like the lion or the tiger in the distance. Having that rush of anxiety and the adrenaline that comes with it is really useful because you're going to use it to run, to fight, the fight or flight response to get out of there. But the problem, I think, is that we live in a world nowadays where running and fighting tend not to be what's needed. Mm. And this relates to the educational system too because a lot of the time, not only are our bodies adapted for running and moving, but now we're sitting in chairs, particularly for like teenagers or young kids, we're sitting in chairs. But if we're getting triggered, we're still having that adrenaline. So this is why the physical aspect of this is very important too. Now at a certain stage we choose to put a label on it like general anxiety disorder or a number of uh, different uh, definitions of phobias if something is particularly problematic or difficult. But it's really important that those labels aren't considered ultimatums, they're just tools to help us reflect on what's happening. By learning more about how your system works you can then manage the environments you're in and you can also manage the symptoms of it much more effectively.
0: Okay, text in here for from this person who says they are the parent of two young kids one of which they think suffers quite badly from anxiety that they've high anxiety levels can you please ask your expert for some advice
1: Sure, well context is going to matter here massively and you know two big things with anxiety is whether it's more general or whether it's more specific or phobic. So somebody may have a certain environment or a certain person or a certain type of situation where they get anxious in but otherwise they're fine. For another person it may be a little bit more general so understanding that is going to be an important step in the right direction. Now always if anxiety is extreme, particularly if there are physical responses that come with it, uh, going to the GP is the first port of call and getting some general advice and some therapeutic or psychological assistance and it does doesn't mean that it needs to be a big problem because in the majority of cases it actually isn't but if you can understand what's happening very often there's a very good story behind it. The 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 child is perceiving the world in a certain way. They're stressed mm-hmm. about something that's affecting how, how they're interacting with the world. They're then holding back. The anxiety is building. So unpacking and understanding that can often then clear the anxiety in many cases. Okay. So so what would your kind of your
0: advice be to sit down for that particular lady for that uh, that texter to sit down with her kid
1: and I suppose first of all just talk to them, ask them is there an issue at sure. school with a friend. Absolutely. And this is this thing. It's a little bit like with physical health. We, we want to normalize it and make it everybody's business. We, we don't want that it's just the GPs and the psychologists that get involved. Now, that being said, if symptoms are strong, always go there because they can just reassure you even that it isn't something you need to worry about too much and maybe mm-hmm. give some tips. But a little bit like with health, we don't just go to a doctor if we're not eating well or we're not active, etc. We know that there's things that we can encourage each other to do. So good open communication between parents and children is, is a very important part of this. Okay. Um, for older children as well being able to talk to friends to some degree about what's happening but something, something I always recommend yeah. is assume there's a good reason for the anxiety and, and it's very interesting if you take yeah, that problem maybe yeah, something, ju- yeah, just say look if there was a very good reason for you to be anxious what would that be? You know, and it's interesting what that question can lead to, going okay. a bit deeper.
0: Do you mind, uh, John, just uh, sticking on your headphones there, actually, because one of our listeners has made contact with us. Um, Anna's on the line. Anna, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Anna, you're a GP. What's, uh, what's your view on this idea of the rollout of safe rooms for, for anxious students?
2: Um, yeah, just I have been a GP in the inner city of Dublin for almost 20 years, and I felt obliged to text in because while I agree with everything you're guest has said uh, there, it concerns me that the state is, I don't have an objection to safe rooms in principle, it concerns me a little bit that the state is investing in this while chronically neglecting to fund primary care services, community psychology services and CAM services. And while I also feel your guest is absolutely right in saying that all this anxiety shouldn't be overly medicalized. I feel if it can be dealt with in a better resource system very early on, then we should largely be able to avoid the need for an intervention like a safe room.
0: Okay. So you, so you think it could it, we could actually yeah, basically avoid this introduction.
2: I mean, of course not always. Yeah. It's just an interesting reflection in the context of someone who spends a huge amount of time Completely unable to get help for people that are looking for support and intervention, even just the time of a GP, very early on in a problem um, where everybody is now so chronically overstretched that we're not able to head these things off at the pass.
0: Okay, well look, Anna, thanks very much for making contact with us um, no can problem. I ju- that's uh, one of our listeners there, Anna, if you want to join the conversation eighteen ninety four five three one oh six just john what's uh, what's your view there on the points anna
1: raised yeah, well anna's of course completely right uh, and these things are always a bit of a chicken and the egg, and you know obviously, if we can kind of normalize the care of wellness, if we can incorporate it into the curriculum at an earlier age if we if we can teach that uh, it doesn 't need to be perfect, but if we can take some steps in that direction then Anna and the other resources are going to be less stretched to some degree so they can focus on the more more higher priority uh, cases. Mm -hmm. But of course she's right, investment is needed in that as well. And this is always the issue, isn't it, with the chicken and the egg. And the problem is when you get yourself into the situation where there has been underinvestment, there's a lot of high priority stuff which demands more resources. The resources are taken away from prevention then.
0: Just more text, actually in. Just want to have a look at what our listeners think of this. Uh, Tracy says, Hi Andrea, there are so many kids suffering with, anzi- with anxiety these days that the whole system would end up becoming a safe room. Even the teachers are more anxious these days. Some schools have wellness walks around the school where staff and the pupils walk and talk at lunchtime. It works really well as I, feel, as I really feel that being indoors too much actually adds to anxiety problems. Uh, this listener says, I'm a maths teacher. N- I-, I am a maths teacher. Now I'm supposed to be a counsellor for wellbeing. What nonsense. Sounds great for the government but don't forget that they closed a camp service two weeks ago in Sanity. Uh, Who's meant to run these rooms? Qualified practitioners or teachers? Uh, This listener says, safe room equals horse manure. Snowflake. Uh, Hi Andrea, how are the students to get work done while sitting in these safe rooms? This could be another excuse for failure of exams. It comes in from Alan. Um, I'm a deputy principal and the ignorance in relation to reality in schools never fails to astound me. We don't have enough classrooms or counsellors and here we are talking about safe rooms. Who's going to supervise all of this, commentators constantly see schools as the tick box answer to all of the social ills that are out there without any idea of the resources required. And finally, Kieran, for the moment says, it's a nice idea, but what about the state taking over the publication of the school books to take out the ridiculously minuscule changes to texts as a justification for adding huge financial pressure on parents. That's just a reflection (laughs) of some of the views coming in on that, John.
1: I I think we need to do something here like what we've done with health and safety. So not everybody needs to be a qualified orthopedic surgeon in order to care about health and safety. If you work in a warehouse, there's going to be boxes, there's going to be people moving things. So we kind of own that uh, communally. There may be some people who specialize in it and advocate it, but everybody cares about it to some degree, and it's in everybody's interests. So in the same way, in a school environment, interpersonal interaction is going to happen. There's going to be stress, Mm. anxiety, anger, frustration, etc. Is that part of the learning, how to manage it, understand it, and deal with it? It. if not, why not? We're going to have health difficulties, problems at home, we're going to have medical difficulties, how do we relate to those in the school environment, goal setting, etc. So these things are important and need okay. to be brought in and emphasised. They can be shared, so it doesn't just need to be that everybody has to become a psychologist, we can embrace some practical psychology.
0: Well thanks to you John for coming in, for joining us today and uh, for going through I suppose some of the key points on the discussion. That's psychologist and cognitive scientist John Francis Leader.